Live with CDP, a weekly sports and entertainment podcast, live on YouTube, Facebook Live, Twitter, and on audio via Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, and Anchor FM. Now here's your host, Chris Pame. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Live with CDP podcast on this Monday, June 20th, 2022. Uh, today's episode is season three, episode 54. My guest is uh, Rick Zamperin. He's a radio personality and the host of uh, Good Morning Hamilton on CHML 900 in Hamilton, uh, Monday to Friday from 5.30 to 9 a.m., I believe. And he's also the host of the Hamilton Tiger Cats post-game show uh, called The Fifth Quarter on CHML 900 as well. So, Rick, today we're going to talk to him a little bit about the Hamilton Bulldogs. Memorial Cup uh, first game is tonight against St. John's. And we're also going to talk to him about the Tiger Cats 0-2 start, still early in the season. And we'll talk to him about uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, some NHL playoffs, and maybe uh, how the Toronto Rock did their first year in Hamilton and if lacrosse has a future in hamilton as well so one second guys i'm really excited to have rick on and uh like i said one second hey rick how you doing hey hey how are you good 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 on this monday june 20th it's hard to believe <laughs> i you know what yeah i just heard you mention season three yeah. already for this podcast so congratulations that is awesome Thank you. This is my 164th episode since wow. March 2020. I've been really lucky to get as many guests on as I have. That's funny. I mean, the pandemic hits and you're yeah. like, I'm going to start a podcast. Yeah, I uh, got a taste of uh, um, camera work with Rogers TV and through the Gulf Nighthawks and um, Rogers led to the podcast. And this actually helped me get through the pandemic the last two years. That's sweet. Hey, yeah. I mean, talking to media types, athletes, coaches, which I know you're getting into now. That's awesome. I mean, they, everyone has a story to tell. Everyone's story is different and exciting and entertaining. So glad to be uh, on board once again. Well, I'm thank you. And I'm very lucky. And it's just, it's just hard work. And this is something I have passion for. And uh, I've been rejected a few times already, but you know what? I just got to keep working away at it. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, someone says no, there's going to be a door that's open sometime down the road. So, yeah, keep plugging away. Definitely. And uh, I've taken up blogging, too. So any sporting events I go to now, I like to write a story and my experience of that of that event. So I figure if I can do that as well, the more stuff I can do or I'm multitasking, it will help me on the future. Yeah. What's the best event you've ever been to? Best event? Like what? Yeah. In, my, in my lifetime? For in sports? your lifetime, not just the past two years. <laughs> Oh, that's a good question, Rick. <laughs> I've been I've been very lucky in my uh, almost fifty years. Ah, oh, geez, I don't know. Like the two thousand and sixteen Grey Cup, Ottawa shocked Calgary. Um, that was a tremendous game, and nobody expected Ottawa to upset Calgary that year because mm -hmm. the Stampeders, as you know, are a dominant team. Ah, uh, I just. I don't know. There's so many. That's a good question, man. I, I've been to so many sporting events over my lifetime. Um, I, I'd say the great cop and uh, being in, in championship games uh, where um, 
the Guelph Storm won the OHL Championship mm-hmm. 2019, and then they invited the fans to come on the ice and celebrate with them. So um, that's you know what I should write a I should write something about my greatest <laughs> sports memories. That's yeah, because I've been very fortunate in my life. Yeah, yeah, you've been to a lot of great ones. For me, yeah, there's so many great ones too, and even like silly stuff like my first ever hockey game, Maple Leaf Gardens you know, walking in the halls and all of a sudden, you know, you go through, you know, the tunnel and you see the ice surface and it's just gargantuan. And you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't know it was all of this because all you saw was what was on the TV. Right. And um, I remember that it was a two, two tie against the St. Louis blues and Brett Hall was on the blues back then. I think it was 91 or 92, somewhere around there. And um, it was a phenomenal experience, but I would say the top of my list would be, and this is a little self-serving, but it was the 2013 Grey Cup in Regina. And I say self-serving because I was broadcasting the game. It was my first and only Grey Cup broadcast. And it was unique because broadcasting for the Tiger Cats, we were um, basically forced to broadcast the game from the end zone as opposed to the press box, because there was literally no room. You know, the, the the rights holders had their space. The home broadcasters had theirs. And then, um, you know, we were basically told, hey, if you want to do the game, we can put you in a little space in the end zone part. And so we did. It was extremely difficult to call because the depth of percent, your depth perception was off because you had no idea how long a run was or how long, you know, a guy would throw the ball or whatever the case is. So 90% of the game, I was like this looking at the Jumbotron in Old Mosaic Stadium because I had no idea how far passes were going. So it was a tricky broadcast, but it was really, um, it was so. Uh, you know, the learning experience was so amazing because it was so different from what I had to do on a day-to-day basis. And we were thinking on the fly thinking, okay, this is going to be tricky. Like, how are we going to do this? And we figured it out and, you know, it didn't go well for the Tiger cast, but it was a very fun atmosphere to be in as well. I was going to say that weather that day, uh, wasn't it kind of, was it snowing or cold, bitterly cold? It, it, you know what, all week leading up to that game, it was extremely cold, like minus 30, minus 38, 40 with the wind chill. And on game day, it was actually, I think it was minus 12, but there was such a, I don't want to call it a warm breeze, but it was a, a really different kind of breeze. And it was certainly a windy kind of game. So while you still had to like bundle up, it wasn't as bad as the week leading up to it. And I remember when uh, my color analyst, John Salavanis, and I landed in Regina for the game early on in the week, um, there was like a foot of snow on the ground. It was minus 35. And we thought, "Uh oh, this is not going to go well. And uh, while game day was good, uh, the rest of the week was crazy. I was going to say, oh, I guess if uh, to answer your question, I just thought about it. My first NFL game in Buffalo, September 26, 1997. The Colts were up 26-0 at halftime. Um, My uh, late brother-in-law wanted to leave at halftime. And I'm like, no, we came all the way here. It's only halftime. And Buffalo came back in that second half and won 37-35 to in their second greatest comeback game ever. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah, and that was with Todd Collins. This wasn't with Jim Kelly or Doug Flutie. <laughs> wow. Yes. So that's yeah, that's that's probably one of my. It wasn't the the greatest game, but it was one of the most memorable uh, sporting events I went to because you don't see too many teams in football come back from twenty six points, no, no. twenty six nothing at halftime. So, but uh, I was gonna say, um, I was gonna start. Hey, one thing before I start with some questions here, mm-hmm. that catwalk at First Ontario Center. 
<laughs> I yeah, uh, I um they brought me, they were nice enough. The OHL, Josh Wheatland, I uh, gave me a media pass for game five, which was great. And Reese was nice enough to take me up there. But as soon as I saw that catwalk, I'm like, Reese, is there a backup way? And he goes, Yeah. And I'm like, is it involved stairs on concrete? I'm fine with it. He goes, Yeah. But that cat that catwalk to me was kind of daunting. Yeah. So did you go the back way? Yes, I did. Wow. I've never been the back way. Oh no. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. You've probably been to that arena more than me. I've I've been there over the years, like in the eighties and nineties and stuff like yeah. that. But Reese was nice enough to show me. You just go up the three hundred level, uh section fifty-four, I believe, and you go up those stairs and it takes you right to right up to the press box. Wow. Never knew. Yes. I'll have to investigate that the next time. Yep, so there is a backup way. It involves a lot of stairs and being in shape, but you know what? I felt <laughs> safer doing that than doing that catwalk. Yeah, that catwalk is something to behold because <clears throat> for anyone who hasn't been at First Ontario Centre, especially you know on the catwalk where, where fair, very few people have, it is, it, it's, it, just imagine being in a cage tunnel, right? You're walking on a cage, basically, and you're surrounded by this cage-like apparatus, and you're basically snaking through uh, the first Ontario ceiling, because that's where the press box is. And um, it is, from time to time, a little, you know, nerve-wracking. I'll say, especially when the lights go down for the pregame ceremony, if you're kind of late getting to the game and you're, you know, making that trek, it's uh, it's a little unnerving. There's o There's one part of the catwalk where I always get... Uh, weak need, I guess, is the best term because there's a little bit of an opening because there's several ways you can kind of go on the catwalk. And there's this one part where it's kind of open. There's no cage to it. There's just like a couple of rails. And wow. every time I pass that point, I'm like, what if I like tripped or fell or, you know, something happened to push me towards that railing? And I always get like the goosebumps thinking, nope, just stay to the side here so you don't perish. Yeah, so yeah, if you go next time you go go up section 54, uh, I think 217, and then you go up those stairs, and it just uh, those stairs take you right up to the press box. And <laughs> I guess I was lucky first time in that press box, I go the back way. <laughs> I'll have to check it out for sure. Definitely, because uh, I I am not a fan of heights, but I just started looking down, and and Reese is like, uh, okay, you want to go the back way? And I'm like, is it safer? He goes, yeah. I'm like, okay, <laughs> good guy, Reese. By the way, Reese stole Manny. Very much so, yes. Really good guy. By the way, that was a really good game, and one of my videos on on there I posted on TikTok had forty thousand views. Nice. Yes, so it was it was really nice, and it was great of the Ontario Hockey League, uh, Josh Wheatland, and uh, I did a story on that too, and it was it was quite the experience. You know what that that's a, that was a great series, especially you know the Bulldogs, you know coming into the playoffs had won ten in a row, they rip off twelve wins in a row, and really weren't you know super challenged in those twelve games. You know, obviously the opposition played well and they had their chances, but. Hamilton was just that much better, I think, than especially their first three opponents. And then, you know, you get to the final and everyone's thinking, OK, how's this going to go down? Because these teams haven't met since the preseason and Windsor was the best in the West. You know, you can make an argument for Flint, but I thought Windsor, you know, especially with Johnson and Cooley, um, I thought they had the most talent in the West. And, you know, they, they hadn't met since the preseason. Hamilton's running along like, you know, nothing can stop them. And Windsor wins game one. And it's like, uh-oh, 
Now this this could be a series, and lo and behold, it goes seven games. Every game was intriguing. Uh, every game was close, save for the six three game in Windsor, and of course the last game in Hamilton that ended up six to one. But you know, great goaltending for both goaltenders. Um, amazing offensive explosion. Good and bad special teams, however you want to look at it. Both coaches well known for getting their teams and their players ready to play. That was a phenomenal series. And let's just hope that the Memorial Cup is as exciting as that seven-game OHL final. And that was going to lead to my first question, the thoughts on the OHL champion Bulldogs defeating the Peets, Mississauga, and North Bay in four, and then Windsor in seven. To be honest, uh, Rick, I might be a little biased living here in Guelph and being a Storm fan. The Western Conference generally the last 15 to 20 years has been a stronger conference other than Hamilton's had a couple great teams. Oshawa's had a great team. But generally, it's usually London, Guelph, uh, Windsor, and... Yeah, Kitchener, yes. So, but you know what? It was a great series. I kind of, I, I kind of got friends on the Bulldogs, friends on the Spitfires, and Manny Pava and uh, Steve Bell from CKL W eight hundred. So I was cheering for both teams, and I was like, "Let's hope this goes seven And and I and we did get a good seven game series. Absolutely, Manny Pava and I went to uh, Fanshawe College. Actually, we were uh, college uh, college buddies back in the day. We w- we met in the concourse. Uh, in the uh, the press box uh, between the first and the second period. And, you know, he was, uh, uh, you know, cautiously optimistic because Windsor had played a really good first period in that in that game seven. But uh, and, and even after playing a good second period, the wheels obviously fell off in the third as Hamilton just kept on coming and obviously made the most of their opportunities. But a great seven game series. Windsor should not hang their heads at all. They played phenomenally well all through the playoffs. But you're right. Yeah, the West has been traditionally the stronger of the two conferences. And, you know, even some of the American teams in in years gone by, you know, Flint probably had their best season ever. You know, Erie has been great, even back to the Connor McDavid days and and, and Connor Brown on those two teams. Um, and, and you look at, you know, the, the traditional powerhouses like the Londons and the Kitcheners of the world, uh, Oshawa throw them in there, uh, or pardon me, uh, Windsor throw them in there. Uh, these teams have really been exceptional year in and year out. And that's a testament to the organization, the structure they have in place, you know, the coaches that they hire or have kept around for years. They just have a system that works and has worked for a long time. So, yeah, hats off to all those teams out there. And I was going to say that leads to my next question. Uh, thoughts on the head coach, Jay McKee, in his first year as a Bulldogs coach, former NHL defenseman and former Kitchener coach, and Bulldogs GM Steve Stales, who was the Jim Gregory Award as a OHL GM of the year, and also the uh, owner of the Bulldogs, too. Well, it's a, I mean, it's a total package. The three amigos have been amazing this year. And certainly Michael Anlauer, the owner of the Hamilton Bulldogs, has been unbelievable for many years. You know, prior to owning the OHL version of the Bulldogs, he owned the AHL version of the Bulldogs and really has been a tremendous um, giver in this community. Uh, you know, he's owned this team. They've played in an arena that is really isn't conducive to junior hockey. It was built for a National Hockey League franchise back in the the, the mid 80s. It has never materialized for Hamilton. But, you know, he thought, listen, th- this is a great destination point in the city. It is a great arena. You know, the dressing rooms are amazing and the players get a big kick out of that. But at the end of the day, um, this arena is too big for the OHL was probably too big for the AHL, to be honest with you. But um, as we saw in game seven, that in those instances, it's great to have a big arena like this. The all-time modern day record 
for attendance for an OHL final, just shy of 12,000 fans. In those instances, it's amazing. But, you know, midweek in February, you're looking at, you know, a smattering, a, a few thousand fans. And it, you know, optically doesn't look the best, but those hardcore fans are happy to be here. And Michael Landlauer has done a phenomenal job of keeping the team here trying to make them as competitive as possible has always given back to the community runs an amazing program called the Bulldogs foundation in which they go into schools and they feed less fortunate children. So they have a full belly so they can, you know, participate uh, wholeheartedly in the class. Um, that's the kind of guy Michael Landlauer is Steve Steos, you know, a guy who has worked wonders as the general manager and, and, and most recently the president of this team as well pushing all the right buttons. You know, there was a big decision to make earlier on this season when they went after guys like Mason McTavish, Arbor Jackeye, uh, to say, listen, do we go all in on a season that may be stopped because of the pandemic? Let's not forget Omicron was, you know, exploding around uh, Ontario, across Canada, really around the world. And the decision was, yeah, let's throw all our chips in the middle and try to get this thing done. We think we have the pieces to do it. Fairly similar to what happened in 2018 with the additions of the likes of Robert Thomas, who came in here and led this team to an OHL championship. There were pieces in place and Steos and company thought, yeah, we can add another piece or two and we can even get not only over the hump, but make a real threat for uh, for Memorial Cup, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. And for Jay McKee. You know, here's a guy I think he's going to get a lot of interest, whether it's at the AHL level, maybe not right now at the NHL level, but maybe one day because he just has that it factor. You know, he's played at the highest level. He's a great communicator. He obviously gets the most out of his charges with the system and the message uh, that he conveys to the players. Uh, extremely good communicator. So, yeah, this three-headed monster, if you will, has worked wonders in Hamilton. They've done a phenomenal job this year. I was going to say, I think he got a raw deal with the Kitchener Rangers when they let him go. But you know what? Things happen for a reason. Jay's been a great fit in Hamilton. And Mike McKenzie, who replaced him in Kitchener, has done a solid job uh, with the Rangers. And that's uh, Bob McKenzie's son, Mike. And he's uh, the coach and general manager. So, you know, things do work out for a reason. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, it's the wonderful thing about really a lot of levels of hockey, whether it's junior or the NHL or the AHL is, you might get pushed out of a place or you might get, uh, you know, enticed to go somewhere else. There's always going to be an opportunity for uh, the men and women who know the game, love the game, have that passion to make it work, can try new things in certain instances. So, yeah, whether it's a Jay McKee here or a Steve Steos, if he decides, hey, listen, I've accomplished everything I've had or I can do at the OHL level, it's on to the next level, whether that's the AHL or the NHL. Um, I think they both have uh, amazing careers in front of them, and they've already had amazing careers in the game of hockey. So it's going to be exciting to see what they do next. I was going to say, uh, Mark Savard did a really good job in his first year with the Spitfires, but I have to admit, yeah. he's a little intimidating to ask questions compared to Jay. <laughs> Jay's kind of a little more laid back from what I see, but Mark's kind of more of an intense uh, type of coach, which hey, every coach has their style. So, But for me, being a rookie in this industry, I, I thought he was a little intimidating, but you know what? He did answer my question in that, and it's just something I need to get more experience with. Yeah, I think at the, at the end of the day, everyone has a unique style. Some can be kind of that drill sergeant or at least come off that way. They might not even know that they're kind of presenting themselves that way. It's just who they are. It's it's yep. their DNA, right? So, uh, yeah, he he can be a little intimidating. I thought he was great in the initial 
um, OHL championship news conference in which they had uh, each coach and, and one player per team. I thought he was fun. Uh, he had some good comments as well, but uh, obviously he had his team ready to play in game number one. They were fantastic in the final. Definitely. This leads to my next question I wanted to ask you, Rick. Uh, thoughts on the Ontario Hockey League long term in Hamilton now? And what's and what was this championship run by the Bulldogs should help? And what's the latest on the renovations for the first Ontario Center, if you know any of that? So, yeah, so long-term play, you know, I really don't see this, and this kind of goes hand hand in hand, I really don't see this franchise moving at all. You know, there there may have been whispers in the past that, hey, you know, the Bulldogs are going to go somewhere else, who knows, could be Burlington, you know, they need a new arena, maybe they should build something at Lime Ridge Mall, which is, uh, you know, a, a mall on the escarpment here in Hamilton, or the mountain as we call it, you know, is, uh, you know, is this team on the move? And it, I say it goes hand in hand because the new arena or the revitalized first Ontario center is yeah, a couple of years still down the road, but at the end of the day, this is going to be a facility that is not completely overhauled, but it is going to look vastly different both inside and outside. And I think, Michael Anlauer, the Bulldogs, certainly excited to take advantage of that because I think at least for the first few years, it's going to be that destination point for many who may not be particularly that um, prototypical hardcore hockey fan. It'll be, hey, let's check out the new arena and see what it looks like. And yeah, we'll take in a hockey game and let's see if we have some fun. And they probably will. And it's going to be those people that will be the next generation of Bulldogs fans is, hey, let's check out the arena. And all of a sudden, wow, we just got hooked on this exciting uh, and entertaining hockey game. We're going to get a flex pack or maybe we'll get some season tickets next year. So uh, number one, the arena is still a couple of years away in terms of it being revitalized. Uh, inside and out, and we're talking tens of millions of dollars. Uh, and number two, I don't really see the Bulldogs going anywhere. They've had a lot of success on the ice. I think this is a market that the OHL loves to be in because of its proximity to Toronto and Niagara. A perfect spot, great hockey market. And um, yeah, I think bigger and better things are going to be ahead for this team. I was going to say, I would still like to see them play golf more too in Kitchener because golf is not, yeah. golf's only about 40 minute, 35 minute drive. So I would be kind of nice to see them. They're actually opening their uh, regular season in golf on September 30th at the Sleeman Center as well. Yeah, I think, you know, with every hockey league, you want that rivalry. And sometimes, it's almost like it's manufactured, right? Like the OHL has a Hamilton and Niagara play like a gazillion times a year. And that's great because there's fans and it's so close to each other. There's fans mm -hmm. that, you know, are going to root for that team and against the other. But in terms of, yeah, like Guelph, Kitchener, Mississauga, even, uh, you know, those kind of regional rivalries will do this league good because if you're within driving distance of your rival or your main rival or whatever the case is, a division rival, you're going to probably make that drive. And I think the OHL wants to see a little bit more of that. And certainly the owners of these teams will want to see a little bit more of that as well. I was going to say, and one of the guys I'm so happy with on the Bulldogs is Logan Morrison. He's a Guelph native mm -hmm. and he's really worked himself into becoming a star player now. And hopefully he'll get an opportunity to be drafted by an NHL team. Yeah, it's it's funny to think here's a guy who's been, I mean, he's the OHL championship uh, and OHL playoff MVP, scored 100 points in the regular season. He was a very different player this year in terms of the results that he got. He's always been, you know, a hard worker, a good skater, has great vision on the ice. But this year, I think, just put it all together, and he really had a fantastic season. So, 
for all the scouts who kind of missed on him and he, and you know, didn't, you know, advise their general managers to draft this guy, they're probably kicking themselves because he really has, you know, I think perhaps the pick of the litter. So at the end of the day, he's had a phenomenal campaign. Let's not forget during a pandemic as well. Uh, I think bigger and better things are on the way for Logan Morrison. Not, not to say that that could amount to, you know, a 15 year NHL career, but he can play pro no doubt about it, whether it's the AHL Europe, might get a cup of coffee in the NHL. Wouldn't that be amazing to see? Definitely. In Guelph, when you think of Guelph for hockey, you think of referees and linesmen, but it's nice to see uh, um, one of the guys on the Bulldogs, a player from Guelph um, system coming into the OHL and hopefully uh, the NHL as well. That'd be sweet. You know, there's 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 a lot of Bulldogs players in the National Hockey League and have been over the last number of years. Uh, you know, guys like Arthur Kaliev, um, um, oh, I just lost him. I just had him. I call him Mick Twisty. <laughs> Robert. <laughs> okay. Robert Thomas is another one. St. Louis. McKenzie. Yeah. McKenzie. McKenzie and Whistle. That's yes, it. Yes. That's what I was thinking about Chicago Blackhawks. There's been, uh, you know, a plethora of guys who have come into the system and have gone and not just Hamilton. I mean, you can go down the list of OHL teams, really CHL teams who yeah. make that jump and then, and then stick. So it's always great yeah. to see those guys. One of the guys I'm going to hopefully have on a podcast soon is Corey Locke. He's an associate oh, yeah. coach with the Guelph Storm, and I got to know him doing my camera work with Rogers TV. So he gave me his personal number. So after the season, to give him a call, and he was going to come on and talk about his uh, career with the Ottawa 67s, obviously with the Hamilton Bulldogs when they were the AHL and winning a Calder Cup, and then with Montreal. Yeah, great guy who you know contributed so much on the ice, and now he's doing it. Uh, at arm's length from the ice, really, and, and teaching the next generation of hockey stars and hockey superstars. And that's what makes this game so amazing, is that you play, you give it your all on the uh, the field of competition or, in, you know, in this aspect, the, the, the ice surface. And then you teach the craft that you played and you excelled at. And that, that kind of metamorphosis is just really intriguing from player to coach or assistant coach, whatever the case is. Really fun to see. Definitely. And my last Bulldog question for you is since tonight the Memorial Cup starts, how do you see this team matching up with St. John's, Edmonton, and Shawinigan? Yeah, good question. Uh, the answer I have is I don't know <laughs> because, you know, these teams haven't played each other, obviously. They're in they're in different leagues. I it, It's really intriguing, though, because you have, you know, two really exceptionally great teams in Hamilton and Edmonton. I mean, they, they are in my mind, you know, one, two in all of Canada. Um, then you have, you know, a team like Shawinigan who eh, kind of had an up and down season and a team like St. John who, you know, on the ice was pretty darn good, but they haven't played in about a month. Um, they, they have a whole new coaching staff, or at least a new head coach. They're a huge question mark, and I'm not sure how they're going to respond to, you know, this pressure pack situation um, after not being in a competitive atmosphere for many, many weeks. So that's, that's really intriguing to me. Number one, I think the Bulldogs will match up pretty good against every team. And I say that because they can play a different style each and every night. You want to run and gun. They can do that. You want to lock it down. They're able to do that too. You want to be physical. They can bring that heat. You want to play a low scoring defensive goaltender wins you a game type thing. They can do that too. So I think no matter who they face on any given night, they're able to adapt and or dictate, you know, how the game is going to go. They have that much talent 
And uh, I, I just think the style of play is conducive to however they want to do it. And if they see an advantage of playing a certain way against a certain team, they're going to do that. So it's going to be really interesting to see. I was going to say, and Guelph's been in six Memorial Cups in the past too. It just showed they had, they're all for six in the Memorial Cup, but in the Memorial Cup, the, the most talented team doesn't always win. It's right. just the team that usually plays the best hockey in this week. So it's a very difficult tournament to win. And I was going to say, I mentioned this on my Twitter page today. The last Hamilton junior team to win the Memorial Cup was the Finn Cups in 76. Mm-hmm. And before that was 1962, the Hamilton Red Wings. Yes, that's that's a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, 1976 is a long time ago. And I had a couple of uh, former Fin Cups on my show, Good Morning Hamilton, on 900 CHML last week. One of them being the great Dale McCourt, who was the MVP of that 76 uh, Memorial Cup. He was just phenomenal. He had 139 points, I believe, that year. And the other one was Mark Locken, who was the goalie that season, who he and Al Jensen, the, the former NHLer, really played lights out in uh, in that tournament. They beat New Westminster, B.C. in the final 5-2. Joe Costini has a natural hat-trick in 72 seconds, which still to this day is a Memorial Cup record. Um, they just, they, they weren't, and even they admitted this as well, they weren't the most talented team, but they just played like a team. And they really, you know, laid it on the line, sacrificed their body, gave everything to the game, and they ended up being victorious. So uh, it's a great story. Uh, let's hope this 2022 Bulldogs team can tell its own great story too. But you know what? Regardless what happens, if the Bulldogs win the Memorial Cup or not, it's still a very successful season. And yeah. uh, I've talked to other guys around the league, and they're like, winning the league is very special because it's four rounds. Not to minimize uh, the Memorial Cup, but four rounds of uh, – tough hockey and then the the memorial cups obviously a tournament i was going to say they made some changes to the memorial cup format uh today i was reading up on manny uh, pava's twitter page i guess three wins for a regulation win two for an overtime win and one for a loss and i guess what they're going to do in the first for first set of games if there's overtime three on three what's your thoughts on that yeah, I, I like it. I You know, it rewards the team that goes forward in OT. It rewards the team that actually wins the game uh, in regulation. I, you know, there's always been a debate that the NHL should do this, and I know why they're reluctant in doing so. You know, you really toss the record book out the window. But still, I think, you know, rewarding the team for winning the game in regulation, I, th- I think should mean a lot. Um, you know, when you go to OT and one team gets an, an extra point than the other, even though the other has been beaten, um, you know, it leaves a sour taste, I think, in some people's mouths. Th- those three-point games really... I know it, it offers a lot of parity or, or creates a lot of parity, but at the end of the day, the team that loses still gets rewarded. So I like that the Memorial Cup um, uh, organizing committee is thinking outside the box, changing up, up a little bit. I think it really magnifies the round robin and makes those games even more important because, heck, if you win in regulation, now you're going to get three points as opposed to anything else. I think that forces teams or at least entices teams to say, hey, let's win this thing in regulation, get it done. Yeah, I'm just looking forward to the uh, the start of it tonight, and I guess uh, the the final game will be on my birthday on June 29th. Oh, nice! So, who so, are you pulling for? I'm gonna go with Hamilton, hey, because yeah. I gotta I gotta support the OHL. 
got to support Ontario. And it would be nice to see Hamilton in their Memorial Cup drought. And uh, I, I, I just and I like Jay McKee. And uh, like I said, I'd like to see the golf kid Logan Morrison uh, bring a Memorial Cup back to golf, which Guelph hasn't won a Memorial Cup championship since 1986. The Guelph Platers, and they weren't even supposed to win it that year. They were an underdog story led by Jacques Martin, the head coach, and Gary Roberts and Steve Chase on the late Steve Chase on, and they went on quite a run. So sometimes in these Memorial Cup tournaments, it's the dark horse that can end up winning the Memorial Cup. Yeah, that's that's a great story. You know, some of those lesser likes who eventually they turn out to be hockey stars um, really led the Platers back then yeah. to a championship. Great story. Yeah, Gary Roberts, and he obviously became a great NHL player with yeah. Calgary and Toronto. And I, I think to this day, he's still involved with the game as a, a personal fitness trainer or something like that. Because yep. that guy's one of the, even when he played in golf, I remember how physically fit and in shape he was. Yeah, it's, you know what, it's guys like that, that it's too bad. You know, he suffers a neck injury, nearly, you know, ended his career and then even came back perhaps even better and stronger than before. And he was such a... Um, you know, such a great leader, whether it's in the dressing room or on the ice, always gave it his all. You know, there was no excuses for poor performances, uh, an absolute legend, an absolute beast on the ice for sure. Definitely. Uh, are you still good for time for a few more minutes? Yeah, I'm, I'm great. Okay, no problem. Now we got to bring the other subject on. We got to oh, talk great. about the other Hamilton team. <laughs> thoughts on the Hamilton Tiger Cats opening two games, both losses, and their and thoughts on their latest loss against Calgary Saturday night. I didn't get to watch the game. I was at a wrestling event, but I was following the game on my score thing. And and at halftime, I'm like, all oh, 24 nothing, 24 three. Uh, they got the game in the bay, and then at the end of the wrestling card, I went and checked, and it said 33 30 Calgary in overtime. So I'm like, what happened in that second half? Uh, yeah, I, we're still wondering here in Hamilton what happened. You know, the, the first, I'll say the first game was pretty close in Saskatchewan. I know Hamilton and the Rough Riders uh, were in a defensive slobber knocker in the first, really three and a half quarters almost. Um, first half, I think it was 6-3 at the half or something ridiculous like that. And uh, both teams just could not get anything done offensively. Uh, Hamilton was five for 22 on second down conversions that game. Saskatchewan, I believe was six of 23. Um, it really fell off. The, the, the wheels fell off the cart in the fourth quarter for the Ticats. Saskatchewan scores two touchdowns in 20 seconds and it's game over last week. You know, the Ticats, I thought in the first half were amazing. They were, whether it was going into the wind or with the wind at their back, it was a breezy night at uh, Tim Hortons Field for their home opener on Saturday night. And they had a phenomenal first half. They were great on defense. They were exceptional on offense, whether it was running plays, uh, passing plays, whatever the case was, they made the plays in the first half. And they were up, as you mentioned, 24 to three. It was 24 nothing at one point, 24 to three at the half. And I don't know if they thought, okay, we have this one, you know, let's manage the clock in the third and fourth quarters. Let's, you know, lock this thing down and away we'll go. We'll, we'll be one and one on the season. We'll have two points in uh, our, uh, our column, but Calgary had different plans. Obviously the Stampeders came out, you know, with the win, the Ticats scored zero points in that third quarter. And I thought to myself, that's going to come back to haunt this team. And it did, because Calgary, especially in the fourth quarter, was unbelievable. Scoring big touchdowns, getting a massive turnover when Titus Hall ripped the ball out of the hands of uh, Dane Evans, who on a 
third and short, was trying to get, you know, a, a yard and a little bit. Uh, couldn't get it. Some thought his forward progress was stopped. I thought he was still kind of fighting for, you know, an extra inch or two. Wall strips the ball, runs 45 yards for a touchdown. It's tied at 27. Whole new ball game. Calgary goes on to win it in overtime. There's a lot of positives that the Ticats can take from this game. You know, they played very well offensively. Yeah, they made mistakes. No team is ever going to be perfect. Defensively, they did some good things, but there are some question marks. Number one, can this team run the football? In the first two weeks, they have not. Don Jackson had five carries for one yard in week one. Uh, Sean Thomas Erlington, I believe, carried the ball five or six times against against uh, Calgary and at 18 yards. Uh, Dane Evans was the leading rusher, six carries for 22. They're not committing to the run. They threw the ball 51 times against the Stamps. They're not running the ball effectively. Yeah, they can chuck it around the yard. Dane had over 420 yards passing against the Stamps, but not running the ball. And the second uh, or the second question mark, a red flag for me is there's not much pressure on the opposing quarterback. Dylan Wynn didn't play against the Stamps, but nobody else could get to the quarterback. Bo Levi Mitchell was relatively clean all game long. If you're not pressing, pressuring the QB, and if your offense is one-dimensional, you're probably going to be 0-2 against two of the better teams in the league. And what's even worse is now they're on to Winnipeg. In Winnipeg, that's not going to be an easy place to play. This team could be 0-3. I was going to say, how much of losing Jarrett Davis to the Argonauts hurt this Tiger Cat defense? Well, as I mentioned, they're just not getting the heat on the quarterback. Uh, they're great against the run. I mean, it's really tough to run against the Hamilton Tiger Cats, and Calgary really found that out, Kadeem Carey in particular. But the pressure on the QB is just not there. Cody Fajardo, uh, you know, he was relatively clean as well in the in the season opener, and Bo Levi Mitchell wasn't really harassed at all by the Tiger Cats. Uh, I know he got hit once and sacked once by Tunde Delicate, but that's your safety coming in on a safety blitz. If the front four can't make some noise and create some havoc in the trenches, you know, that, that quarterback's going to sit back and pick you apart, whether you're man-to-man or zone. The QB is good enough to do that at this level, undoubtedly. So I think losing Jagera Davis, especially the way he was playing late last year into the playoffs, he was an absolute uh, a warrior. It was unbelievable. Um, I, I think it hurts a little bit. Yes, bringing in Micah Johnson's big, uh, but they need guys like Julian Hauser to step up. You know, big Teddy Laurent in the middle when he's healthy and he has been so far this year can be a force. Dylan Wynn is an absolute animal in the middle, but they need those two rush ends to get to the QB. Otherwise, it could be a long season. How, how about the secondary so far? What you see, they've been solid yeah. or? I, you know what? I like the personnel back there. Um, I think that's, you know, some plays have gotten away with them, but, you know, I think Tunde Delicate is one of the best safeties in the league. I like guys like Cariel Brooks, who I know is not 100% healthy. Um, uh, Alden Darby Jr., who you know, uh, you know, played with the, the Blue Bombers and I think was with Toronto last year, was really a guy who can bring it physically and is a good coverage guy. Guys like Jamal Roll, um, Desmond or um, uh, Richard Leonard. Um, they have all the makings of one of the better secondaries in the league. You throw that linebacking core in there as well with Javon Santos Knox, Cameron Kelly, Simone Lawrence. They got a really good defense, top three defense in my mind. It's them, Winnipeg, and Saskatchewan, I think, are the top three. And everyone else is kind of fighting for that number four position. But listen, if, you're, if your offense is not moving the ball like Hamilton didn't do in the second half uh, against the Stamps, your defense is going to get on the field and, and going to get, uh, you know, capitalized upon by the other team. So they got to find a good balance of running the football, 
getting some pressure on the quarterback and playing a full 60 minutes. And right now they've played, you know, a couple of good halves. If that, I might be stretching it, uh, but they have a lot more or a, a lot higher talent level to be 0-2 to at this point. Is there, um, obviously being the host of the fifth quarter post-game show, is there a sense of panic in Hamilton with the fans yet? Or do you think people are kind of like it's still early yet? Which I still think it, it is way early in the season to panic yet. Yeah, I think for the most part, people are not okay with being 0-2, but they they see the, the opposition that this team's played. Uh, they should be 1-1. One one. There's no doubt about that. But uh, yeah, they're not pressing the panic button just yet. And I'll say this. You know, this team was 0-2 last year and had four less games to play. They managed to go all the way to the Grey Cup. So I think for the most part, most fans think, all right, you know, it's just two games. Uh, one was a weird one. The other one was on the road in a tough place to play in Saskatchewan. We should be fine. Um, I wonder if they're going to say the same thing if they lose in Winnipeg. And again, it's going to depend on how they play the game. If they're right there and lose on a last second field goal or whatever the case is, that might be, you know, easier to stomach. But at the end of the day, this this season is going to be won and lost by how they fare against those Eastern Division teams that you must beat. You know, they played the Argos four times in a five-week span ending on Labor Day. Those big games against Ottawa and Montreal are going to be huge. Um, that set of games is going to dictate who's going to finish first in the East. And yeah, I know you still have to play those teams of the West, but you have to take care of business against those Eastern opponents. And if you can, and... Um, you know, pile up the wins at home, especially, and earn a few on the road, you should finish uh, at or near the top of the East Division. I was going to say, um, just looking at the East so far, I think Hamilton's going to be a good team in the end. I think the Argonauts, uh, they still have some issues, but I think they're going to be solid. But I really think Ottawa and Montreal have both improved. Montreal really should have won that game at the end with that 21-yard field goal kick uh, being missed. But then Boris... Uh, DD uh, for the Argonauts missed some kicks. So I, I do think Montreal is going to be improved from what I see. Ottawa with Jeremiah Mazzoli as their quarterback. So I think the CFL East this year is not just going to be a one-team race. I think it's going to be pretty competitive for all four teams in the, at the end. Yeah, I think so, too. I, I don't see any one team running away with this division unless... You know, they get a few bounces in the teams in, in the games that they play against the, you know, the other Eastern teams. But at the end of the day, I think they're all going to be around 500, you know, 10 and eight might win the division, to be honest. 11 and seven might win the division. I don't see anybody getting 12 plus wins in the East again, unless something really bizarre happens. But yeah, Ottawa's much better than last year, especially offensively. And thankfully for their fan base that they are because they were brutal last year. Montreal is a good team. Uh, both offensively and defensively. Uh, Toronto has added, a, you know, a few pieces this year, which, you know, guys like Andrew Harris were all wondering, you know, what is the best before date? This guy keeps on doing what he does. Uh, can they score enough points? Can they defend effectively? And can they get the special teams needed to win more often than not? I think they're all going to be around 500, to be honest. And I, yeah, I just don't know how it's all going to shake down. Uh, you know, Preseason, Rick said uh, the, you know, the Ticats would finish first at 11 and 7. Toronto would be 10 and 8. Uh, Montreal, Ottawa would scrap it out for, for third place. And maybe both might be, you know, 8 and 10 or 9 and 9 or something to that effect. It's going to be a really close division. I think with Montreal right now, they have to figure out their quarterback situation. Yeah. Is it going to be uh, Vernon Adams or it's going to be Trevor Harris? Personally, I would go with Trevor Harris. In Ottawa, they finally got a number one quarterback in Jeremiah Mazzoli. And in Toronto, I'm still not sold on McLeod Bethel-Thompson, even as an Argonaut fan. I think at some point this year, you're going to see Chad Kelly get an opportunity. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, those those opportunities usually manifest themselves in that kind of, uh, you know, fourth quarter scenario, either with your team way up or your team, you know, really getting uh, tarred and feathered by the opposition to say, all right, let's throw in the, the backup QB to see what he has at a live game kind of scenario. So, yeah, there's no doubt about it. He's going to take over the reins at some point this year, maybe not take over the reins, but really be thrust into the spotlight to say, hey, can you do it in a, a real life uh, a real game situation. We saw him in the preseason. Can he do it when the real bullets are kind of flying and everyone's A1 guys on the field? That's going to be interesting to see. With the Tiger Cats, obviously it's Dane Evans. I saw some guys playing golf on a preseason game and I was impressed. Jamie Newman, is he going to be the number two or the number three there? Because I was impressed with his work yeah. against Toronto. Him, him and Morton are fighting for that third string status. I think by default, Matt Schiltz is the backup QB with Hamilton okay. right now. He's kind of, you know, re relegated to that short yardage um, kind of uh, playbook. But, it, you know, knock on wood, if Dane goes down, Matt Schiltz is the number two guy and he'll be thrust into that starter's role. Uh, and we've seen him do it before, you know, in Montreal, he was, you know, kind of pushed in there with injuries to guys like Vernon Adams Jr. and, and other quarterbacks who have been there. But, you know, with any CFL team, if your starter goes down, you're probably in trouble. Maybe save for Calgary. Uh, you know, Mayer's a pretty good quarterback. So, you know, if, if Bo Levi goes down with any sort of injury and he has been dealing with a bunch of things, including this year with that, you know, that right leg injury, um, they should be okay. But I think if most, Q, or if most, uh, most uh, CFL teams lost their starting QB, they'd be in a world of hurt. And I was going to say... Um... You guys were spoiled the last couple of years in Hamilton with uh, Evans and Mazzoli right there, 1A, 1B right there. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's definitely um, – what I was going to say, you answered this question already about the positives in this game. Uh, I'm going to basically uh, ask you uh, this one question. What are three keys to a Hamilton Tiger Cat win against Winnipeg Friday night in Winnipeg? Well, key number one, I think, will be getting out to an early lead. And that might be funny to think because they just got out to a monumental lead against the Stamps. It was 24 to nothing and they still ended up losing. But I think taking the crowd out of the game and getting out to that early lead is going to help. Uh, they can't think of the past two Grey Cups and losing to Winnipeg, and I don't think they will. And I'm not, it's not, I'm not saying that's one of the keys to the game, but get out to an early lead, get that confidence again to you know prove to yourself that, yeah, we can score some touchdowns against one of the better defenses in this league. Um, number two, I think harassing Zach Caleros. That's an absolute must. Um, we know that when a quarterback is running around and is unsure where his receiver is going to be or unsure how the coverage looks as, you know, he's, he's about to get tackled by the opposition, that's a lot harder to do than just sitting back and, you know, throwing darts all over the place. So uh, getting that defensive pressure is an absolute key. I think third, playing a full 60. This team hasn't done it, not even close that far. So playing a complete game or at least as close to they can get as possible will serve them well in Winnipeg. Okay, definitely. And that's a eight o'clock game TSN as well. And Winnipeg, um, they won their last game, but uh, I, I, I think it, it still might be a difficult season for them because winning back-to-back -back great cops is a hunger still going to be there because as you know, in sports, it's hard to win one championship, let alone back-to-back -back, mm -hmm. and then try to go for three. So my question is Winnipeg still going to be the same hungry team they have been the last couple of seasons. Yeah, I mean, that's hard to tell because we're not in that locker room, right? But I, I think they are. I think they should be. Not many 
teams have won three in a row in the last to do it. I think you got to go back to the Edmonton Eskimos or the former Eskimos, now the Elks, way back in the 80s. I mean, it, it has And think of all the great Toronto teams and all the great Stampeders teams and all the other great Edmonton teams that were around Montreal with Anthony Calvillo. I mean, they never won three in a row. It is really hard to do. So I think it boils down to... Yeah, a bit of the, the hunger, the motivation, it boils down to staying healthy for all yep. those seasons, getting great performances year in and year out. The consistency at the pro level is even hard to do. And that what's that's what makes those um, Hall of Fame type of players so special because year in and year out, they are absolutely amazing. And they do it for 12, 15, 17 years in some cases. So I think the hunger still there. Um, they, they still, as they've had in the last couple of seasons, need some breaks. They need some lucky bounces, which every championship team gets. They need to execute when the chips are down. And they've done that in the last couple of years. I think head coach Mike O'Shea has the team's head screwed on, right? If I can say that way, they are an ultra focused team week in and week out. I think come playoff time, they'll be in the mix. And if they get all those pieces to the puzzle, that complete recipe in play that uh, they'll have a, a decent shot, maybe more than any other team to three P. And then one thing I wanted to say too, is it's nice to see some stability around the CFL. You think of the tire cats. Now you think of Orlando style higher as a head coach, Dane Evans, obviously with the Argonauts. Now you got guys like speedy banks, Andrew Harris, um, like Ryan Dinwiddie, Pinball Clements. It's basically what I'm saying. It's nice to see stability around the league with management, ownership, and players. Because fans, they when I was growing up in the uh, 70s and 80s, I could identify with uh, players like on the Hamilton Tiger Cats, Ben Zambiazzi and Ken Stapler, um, uh, Dieter Brock. Obviously, with the Argonauts, it was uh, Holloway mentor Terry Greer. And I think that's important for the league to have a little bit of stability with the franchises too. The CFL has to figure out, has to fix its free agency period or or its guaranteed contracts or however you want to call it. What they need is for players to stick around on their teams for a while. You know, Brandon Banks, Simone Lawrence, Jeremiah Masoli had been with the Tiger Cats for the better part of a decade. Two of those three are gone. The other one still remains. And when you think of a team, no matter the sport, one of the things you think about are their legendary players. You know, who are the all-time greatest, you know, Edmonton Oilers or Toronto Maple Leafs or Buffalo Bills or, uh, you know, Toronto Raptors. You, you identify with some of those players. And each and every year, if you have a lot of these players kind of moving all over the place because they're following the money, and I don't begrudge them for doing so, you know, a pro athlete's career is extremely short um, in relation to a regular career, if you will. The CFL has to fix that aspect because they're losing a piece of that fandom because who wants to buy a jersey of a player who's not going to be there in two years time? You know, you want you want that player to play for your team and play for a long time. And I know that's kind of selfish thinking, but that's how the sports fan thinks. They want to be fully invested in their team with all the players, or at least most of them year in and year out. And this league has a real big issue with that. How it's going to fix it, I don't know. That's a tough question. I was going to see what's the current salary cap for each team right now. Do you know the numbers? Yeah, it's a little over five, and I think it grows to a little over six, if my memory serves me, at the end of this current seven-year deal with um, the Canadian Football League and the Players Association. So it has been grown steadily over the last number of years, which is great. 
you know, it, it, you know, you look at the contracts in the NFL and, you know, some guys in the league like Patrick Mahomes, his annual contract is worth the entire salary cap of the Canadian Football League. And it's just unbelievable to think about that. But it is. That just goes to show you how different both leagues are in terms of the finances. I had one gentleman on, Mike Mitchell. He's actually a huge TFL fan in the United States in New York City by by all means, and he f- loves the league. and And I and I talked to him about this. I said, growing up in the seventies and eighties, one of the biggest things that hurt the CFL. Uh, Rick, in my opinion, is that blackout rule because yeah. back in the 70s and 80s, I could only listen to the Argonaut games on CFRB 1010 or the Hamilton Tiger Cats games with Nora Marshall on CHML 900. And that hurt our generation of people growing up in the 70s and 80s with that blackout rule. Worst decision ever. I, I understand the genesis around it and, and why they wanted to black the games out on TV to almost force you to go to the games and help the teams financially. But at the end of the day, it really hurts because there was a lost generation or two that never really got to see football because out of sight, out of mind. Uh, and it's really unfortunate to uh, if they were to go back in history and remake that decision, they probably would have said, you know what, it's not good for the game. It might be good for right now financially, but years down the road, it's going to hurt, and it certainly has. We have lost, when I say we, the CFL has lost a generation or two of fans. Now they're trying to get them back, and it's really tough to do so. Um, Let's wish them all the best because it's, it's an uphill battle for sure. And I was going to say, the Argonauts have a nice, beautiful stadium at BMO Field. It was a perfect night for football against Montreal there, and they only had 12,000 fans. And yeah. and some of the fans I talked to were like, oh, they were noisy and stuff. But I said, on a night like that, with nothing going on in Toronto, they should have at least had 20,000 in that stadium. I don't yeah. know. I just Yeah, the unfortunate thing is, you know, mid-season, you know, mid-July, mid-August, mid-September, that number is not going to be in in the five digits. You know, it's going to be under 10,000. And it's really unfortunate because, you know, there's a group of players on both teams who are going to fight on, on the BMO field surface who are trying to entertain and win a football game. And the unfortunate thing is there's not going to be a lot of people at the stadium. Number one, it's a phenomenal facility. Uh, it's just one of the one of the best CFL facilities, if not facilities in general in Canada. It's really well done. It's in a great part of the city. You know, the lake's right there. Uh, it's great for soccer and football. Um, you know, the team is going to be in a playoff race, that is for sure. Um, at the end of the day, though, you think Toronto and, you know, it's Maple Leafs country. The Blue Jays are as big as they've been since really the 90s. Um, The Raptors have really climbed the ladder. They're a humongous draw. Uh, And then there's all the other stuff to do in Toronto, aside from football, which is now, you know, eighth or ninth in the totem pole, which is really crazy to think because it used to be toward the top. It was Maple Leafs. Argos and then kind of every, I mean, the Raptors didn't exist way back when even the Blue Jays were third. Um, They have fallen mightily down, down the ladder. And it's sad to see. I, 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 to my opinion, what, the, the, when then the attendance started going down was after they won that great cup in 83 because they went so many years 31 years without a great cup they got close in 82 then they won in 83 and then i think in 84 the blue jays started getting good and i think that kind of started 
the uh, the erosion of their attendance. And then yeah. obviously they went through a number of ownerships and stuff like that. MLS, MLSE has a lot of money, but my question is, are they willing to put the money into to getting the fans back? And are they? And what I see is I don't think they're marketing the team enough in that market, in my opinion. Yeah, I think the last time the Argos were really a phenomenon was when Wayne Gretzky, John Candy, and Bruce McNall owned the team. They brought in Rocket Ishmael. This is early 90s, you know, 91, 92. As the Blue Jays are just about to win, you know, their first World Series, the Argonauts were one of the best uh, sports stories in the land. Uh, They had the star power, the celebrity power. They had an amazing team. They won the Grey Cup. Um, Yet since then, they've been really a non-factor. And, um, you know, I'll say this, MLSE owns the team. They've put some money into it. They are advertising. But at the end of the day, I think the long-term play for MLSE is to have an NFL team. And I think they're not necessarily using the Argonauts to get that in that direction. But I think they're hoping to prove to the National Football League that they can run a football franchise. If they were ever to get an NFL team, let's hope they don't run it like they're running the Argonauts because, um, you know, they've been good on the field from time to time. They've won their fair share of Grey Cups since the early 90s, but they're really non-existent in terms of being um, the attention-grabbing sports spectacle that they should be. Um, it's, It's a tough landscape out there. Now, mind you, if the NFL comes to Toronto... It's an instant, you know, buzz in the city. We got to go there. We finally have an NFL team. Let's all go. It'll be a packed house. There's no doubt about it. The long-term play, can they make it work? Probably, given the money that the National Football League invests in each team, revenue sharing, TV deal, you name it. It's one of the biggest markets in North America. It'll probably work. It'll also probably be the death knell of the CFL as we know it. So that'll be the downside of that equation. I hope the CFL is around for many more years because I I've always loved the NFL, but I've always loved the CFL. My question for you in Toronto is: you got the Rogers Center, which is not acceptable for the NFL. BMO Field is uh, basically a CFL soccer stadium. Who's going to come up and pay a two billion dollars for a new stadium? At least two billion. Yeah, my guess is MLAC would be part of that equation. There's no doubt about it. Uh, there's got to be some taxpayers' money in there. No doubt in my mind, the taxpayer will be asked to put out their uh, or, or dip into their pocketbook and pull out some bills. There's probably another investor too. You know, we've heard of a secondary NHL team in Toronto. I'm sure MLAC can dip into a few other big pockets for some funding and investment dollars. Uh, they'll make it work. There's no doubt in my mind. They'll make it Definitely. work. But I was going to say, I'm really grateful for the Argonauts too. I befriended Mike Hogan, obviously, and Chris Balanovich. He's the um, media relations uh, manager. So mm-hmm. they've told me if I want to come down to BMO this summer to cover a couple of the Argo games as a freelance media guy uh, to, to do it. And they've been really great with me. So I'm really, I really appreciative of the Argonauts. And um, I'm hoping maybe they even come down to Hamilton and, uh, and do a game up in the press box there as well if i'm lucky enough nice yeah that'd be great would be great to see you at tim morton's field and yeah to have you at bmo field as well would be phenomenal one thing is there any catwalks at the press box in hamilton at the <laughs> tim morton's field no but there it is the highest press box in the canadian football league um so you might want to bring some binoculars if you want to okay. really have a good look at you know players in the huddle or what's happening on the sideline from an injury standpoint but no there's uh Two elevators up and two elevators down. There's no, uh, you can take the stairs if you want, but no, there's no catwalk. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. So, um, (laughs) 
The next question I wanted to ask if you're still okay for time. I wanted to talk to you about this briefly. Thoughts on the class of 2020, 2021 introduced into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame this past weekend. And uh, obviously Marv Levy and uh, coach Orlando Steinhauer got in and Mike Walker. And I just wanted to, uh, your thoughts on that quickly. Yeah, I mean, phenomenal class. And, and you know, Henry Burris was in there too. Uh, Doug Mitchell, former CFL commissioner, board of governor. Um, just a phenomenal two classes, really, because it was 2020 and 2021 because of the pandemic. Uh, Marv Levy, you know, one of the great uh, coaches in the National Football League, even in the CFL as well. A guy who was always entertaining in his uh, pre and post game news conferences. Uh, Orlando Steinauer, I'm a huge fan of, not only as a player, but as a coach as well. Awesome communicator, great motivator, uh, really a, uh, a wholesome individual. And, uh, you know, Mike Walker, one of the, the, the treasures of this Ticats franchise, always gave it his all, was phenomenal on and off the field. Uh, Hank Burris, the same, you know, the, the smiling Hank, always smiling, always joking, always being friendly and always delivering on the field. Yeah, he had some bad games here, there, but he was truly a Hall of Fame player because he was exceptional when he was on his game. And that was more often than not. So phenomenal class top to bottom for this uh, Hall of Fame classes going in this year. And I was going to say, they moved it to Tim Horton's field, right? The Canadian Football Hall of Elite. Because they used to be in downtown Hamilton. So it's yep. all now at Tim Horton's field. Yeah, it used to be in downtown Hamilton, just uh, beside uh, Hamilton City Hall, but the Canadian Football Hall of Fame now housed within Tim Hortons Field. It's got a phenomenal display up on the Hall of Fame club level, if you will, but also in the entrance at Gate 3, which is kind of the main entrance to get into the stadium, or at least one of them. And you walk in and just off to the right, there's a tremendous display of some artifacts from the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. So wherever the Ticats are playing that week, this past week it was Calgary. There was obviously some Tiger Cats uh, gear from the Hall of Fame, whether it's helmets or jerseys or cleats or whatnot. And there's also some stuff from the opposition as well. So if you're a fan of the Stampeders or any visiting team that's going to Tim Hortons Field, you'll be able to see some Hall of Fame stuff uh, right at the front entrance. Okay, well, I'm definitely going to have to come down to a game this summer. And also, I want to go into the Canadian Football Hall Canadian Football Hall of Fame as well, because I've done all the other Hall of Fames. It would be nice to see the CFL one, especially mm-hmm. in the news location. Yeah, it's it's great. I mean, there's always there's so many amazing stories and artifacts and uh, just a treasure trove of CFL history. You will enjoy it for sure. Definitely. Um, just got a couple other questions I want to ask you. I had to ask you this because I know you're a diehard Maple Leaf fans, but thoughts on the Maple Leafs and do you feel the team is still hitting in the right direction in 22-23 with Shanahan, Dubas, and uh, Keith all returning in their current roles? I don't think any of those three are going anywhere. Um I, there's obviously going to be a couple of changes with the roster. What it looks like remains to be seen. You know, some of the big question marks, probably the biggest question mark would be, you know, is Jack Campbell coming back as the goaltender? My gut will say yes. What the price tag is, is going to be the most interesting part. I think he is deserved, uh, you know, a contract from the Maple Leafs. There's no doubt about it. He's been better than advertised. And, um, you know, you look at the free agent list of goaltenders out there, it doesn't really get you excited, apart from Darcy Kemper, who's you know a couple of wins away from winning the Stanley Cup for the first time. It's not really a who's who of great free agent goalies. So can they trade for one? Yeah, given their salary cap situation, I can't see it. At least not for a goalie who's going to be exceptionally better than Jack Campbell. 
Uh, Jack's got to stay healthy. That's first and foremost. And he's got to perform in the playoffs, which, you know, I thought he was pretty good against Tampa Bay. They ran into, you know, the two-time defending champs who have proved to be a tough nut to crack, except for Colorado. He's doing a pretty good job against the Avs. But Kyle Shanahan's not going anywhere, uh, or Brennan Shanahan's not going anywhere. Kyle Dubas is going to stay in his current role. Sheldon keeps coming back as the head coach. I think they roll with it for one more year. And I know I've been saying this the past couple of years, but if they lose in the first round again next year, that's got to be it, right? Like, I mean, how many times can you go back to the well and expect a different result? I think this is it. The way they played against Tampa, the way they played in the regular season, they were a top 10 team, top five team in the National Hockey League. If they don't get the job done, and I'm, I mean a deep playoff run, like to the conference final, at or least. game seven of the second round at least, uh, I think changes will be made. I'm not sure what the changes are apart from stuff in the front office because there's some big contracts that were unmovable on this roster. You're not going to get rid of Matthews. You're not going to trade Mitch Marner. Uh, Morgan Riley's not going anywhere now. Uh, John Tavares's contract, virtually untradeable. Willie Nylander seems like a steal at his current contract. Um, there's only so much they can do with this roster, and I'm not sure they're going to be able to do it this summer. Um, so I think the the, the clan will be back. There'll be a, a few guys that will be missing, like Ilya Mikheyev's probably going to get a big deal with some team, and there's going to be a couple of other guys in and out. Um, should be interesting come puck drop this October. Okay. And my last question I wanted to ask you, Rick, is overall thoughts on the Toronto Rocks' first full season in Hamilton, and can this franchise continue to draw fans at the first Ontario Centre? Yeah, you know, I would give it a check mark in year number one, that is for sure. Here is a Toronto entity that has come to Hamilton, and that is usually a really tough sell um, because Hamilton is very protective of its own. They want to see a Hamilton team do well, but I think uh, many fans here in Hamilton have tried out lacrosse for the first time, have really loved the game, have loved the game day presentation, uh, like the excitement of it. Of course, it's a venue that they are familiar with and comfortable with attending. And I think the Toronto Rock have put on a really good show at a competitive team. Uh, I think they're only going to get better. I know, I, I think this is year one of five at First Ontario Centre in terms of their lease agreement with uh, First Ontario Centre. So I think a good first step, and I think bigger things, hopefully, for the franchise are yet to come. But, you know, rebranding themselves as, you know, Rock City or just The Rock was the way to go. I don't think a Toronto Rock emblem would have flown in Hamilton. That would have gotten, you know, some hairy eyeballs. But at the end of the day, yeah, good first step, a good check mark for Toronto. I was going to say, and I went to my first ever lacrosse game in April there, and I loved it. I'm a huge fan of the sport now, mm -hmm. thanks to Pat Gregor and John uh, Gook. Uh, what's his? Got Gook. I had John from the Buffalo Bandits. He's a really great guy. And I love the sport. And uh, the game I went to in Hamilton uh, against San Diego, they had 8,500 fans. And you saw fans that were older fans, young fans, mm -hmm. uh, middle-aged fans. They have a good uh, uh, demographics of fans there. So I, I really uh, like it. And the fact that it's a lot easier to get to the first Ontario Centre than it was to go to the Scotiabank Arena in downtown Toronto. That's that's very true as well. You know, parking's a lot cheaper as well. Uh, the transportation uh, links are easy to get to. Uh, it's an easier city to drive in. And it, at the end of the day, it's a fun game. It's a fun atmosphere. And when you are spending your money on whatever the entertainment is, you want to be entertained. And if you go to a rock game at First Ontario Centre, you will get entertained. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. Even when the team is playing bad, it's still entertaining. 
And this team hasn't played bad in a long, long time. I'll say that. So yeah, if if you want to test out something new for the first time, I would say NLL action is probably the way to go. It's really a thrilling event. And uh, before I let you go, how is the CBL doing in Hamilton with the Honey Badgers? Do you think that will succeed or you don't? Well, I'll, I'll say it is a success already. Here is a, a league that was launched, uh, I think this is year four now. Yes. And I thought many, many people around the sporting world thought, well, here's another, you know, pro basketball league. How are they going to compete against everybody else? And they have uh, for however um, many years it's going to take to, I guess, prove that they're here to stay. I think they're here to stay. And that's kind of exciting to see happen because, Starting a sports league from scratch is not easy, but they've pressed the right buttons. They have an exciting brand of basketball. They get some uh, good young talent. Um, they're growing the game locally or at least nationally with a lot of Canadian players involved. So I like what I've seen, you know, whether it's the Hamilton Honey Badgers, the Niagara River Lions, uh, a lot of the other teams around the league. Uh, they've struck a chord, I think, with the younger fan base and fans who want something a little bit different and on an affordable um, uh, schedule for them. You know, they're, they're not shelling out hundreds of dollars to go see the Leafs game. They're shelling out a few bucks to see a pretty entertaining brand. Absolutely. And uh, I'm also a fan of the National Basketball League of Canada as well. And I'm hoping that league will recover from the pandemic. They only had four teams this year. So I'm hoping next year they'll get to six teams. And then they signed a 10-year agreement with the uh, Basketball League, which is a similar league in the States. So um, basketball in Ontario looks like it's going to be here for a while with uh, both of these leagues. They're a little bit different in their endings. Because uh, the CEBL has a ELAM ending with mm -hmm. four minutes left, and then the MBLC does the traditional way. I was going to ask you, what's your thoughts on the ELAM ending of the, the CEBL games? I kind of like it. I mean, it's different. Anytime something is different, um, you kind of digest it a little bit differently as well. And if it's new, and if the ending is exciting, I think you'll be more receptive to it. And I think that's basically the the, the basis of you know, tweaking the end in terms of, you know, scoring the points that you need to score to win the game at the end of the day. Um, I think whenever you throw in a new wrinkle here, or there, that gets some interest or at least some people thinking, uh, wow, this is kind of fun. The NBA should maybe adopt this, maybe even in the preseason to see how it would work. So yeah, full, full credit to the CEBL for trying something a little bit different to get some more eyeballs on the product. Definitely. Anyways, Rick, I'm going to let you go, but I want to say thank you so much for coming on season three, episode 54, 164 overall. And uh, hopefully we'll run into you this summer at the uh, Tiger Cats game in the press box at Tim Hortons field. That would be phenomenal. Always happy to come on and talk some sports. And yeah, anyone who is in and around Hamilton, you can check out the Tiger Cats, the Bulldogs, uh, the Hamilton Cardinals. You know, summer's here. They're playing at uh, Bernie Arbor Memorial Stadium up on the mountain. Of course, the Bulldogs in action tonight in the Memorial Cup. And of course, all year round at the First Ontario Centre during the regular season and playoffs. Lots of sporting things happening in Hamilton. Of course, don't forget the 2030 Commonwealth Games will be coming to Hamilton before you know it. Okay, and where can my audience find you on social media and uh, your Good Morning Hamilton show uh, Monday to Friday on CHML? 
Yeah, best way on social would be on Twitter. At Rick Samprin is the handle. Uh, I'm on Facebook and Instagram as well. But, you know, Twitter is probably the best and more conducive way to communicate. I just love, you know, the the doom scrolling and uh, the sports scrolling that I usually do. And, uh, yeah, Good Morning Hamilton is on 900 CHML on your AM dial. It goes uh, Monday to Friday, 5.30 a.m. to 9 a.m. And we talk about lots of things that are happening in Hamilton, in Ontario, and around the world. If it's of interest to you, it'll be on the show. We have some great trivia. Uh, we have some neat features like Do You Know, in which we just tackle things that kind of pop into my brain and our listeners' brains and uh, have a lot of fun with it. So, yeah, 5.30 to 9 on 900 CHML. Tune in. And also the fifth quarter on uh, Tiger Cats Pulse game. Are you guys going to be doing doing one this Friday night after the game against Winnipeg? Yeah, I'll be in the studio after the Tiger Cats and uh, Blue Bombers square off at IG Field in Winnipeg. That's, I believe, an 8.30 start time on Friday. So the fifth quarter will start 30 minutes after the end of the game as we cover the uh, Tiger Cats postgame show after the end of the game. That's commercial free for 30 minutes. And then the fifth quarter starts and we talk to fans on the phone on Twitter, on Facebook Live. They email in to share their thoughts on the game. They vote for their player of the game. And uh, who knows what they'll be saying this Friday night after the Ticats and the Blue Bombers go head-to-head. Prediction for the game. Who wins this game Friday night? Ah, Let's go with an upset. Let's go Tiger Cats 22, Bombers 20 on a last-second field goal by Michael Damagala to win it. Actually, I tend to agree with you. I think it's going to be a close game, and it's going to come down to the last uh, field goal right there. So, um, all right, Rick. Uh, like I said, again, thank you so much for coming on live with CDP Podcast, and uh, hopefully we'll see you this summer at Tim Hortons Field. And uh, I definitely would like to have you back on again as a guest in the future and talk more uh, CFL and maybe uh, possibly a Memorial Cup championship for the Hamilton Bulldogs. You got it. Anytime. Take care. Thanks, Rick. Take care. Good night. Anyways, guys, I hope you enjoyed my podcast with Rick Zamperin again, and you can check him out on CHML 900. And just give me one second, guys. I'm just going to scroll through here. You guys can follow Rick on Twitter at Rick Zamperin, and he's also on CHML 900. You can check out their website, globalnews.ca slash radio 900 CHML. And also, guys, if you want to follow the Hamilton Bulldogs, hamiltonbulldogs.com and also HamiltonTigerCats.ca as well. Before I get going, guys, I just wanted to let you know my next Live with CDP podcast is going to be uh, tomorrow, Tuesday, June 21st at 8 o'clock Eastern. My guest is going to be Ben Grant. He's an accredited Toronto Argonauts writer and host of X's and O's for the Argonauts uh, website.com. And also he's an analyst for the Canadian football uh, perspective. I met him at the Argonauts Tiger Cats game June 3rd here in Guelph. And uh, Ben's going to come on and talk to us about the Toronto Argonauts and some CFL football as well. So hopefully you guys can check out that as well. Before we go, guys, I'm going to just show you some uh, highlights of the Tiger Cats and Stampeders game from Hamilton Saturday night. Uh, The clip is courtesy of TSN, the sports network, and the Canadian Football League. Just one moment. I'm just going to show you some highlights of the game. It's a beautiful day, but there is a breeze reminiscent of the Grey Cup last December. It is going from north to south, and the Stampeders have decided to defer after winning the toss. They're going to want that ball in the fourth quarter, and Rene Paredes is there to kick it off. Opener coming in at 0-1. Good start against Calgary. As mentioned with the wind, it's important. It's complete. John Thomas Erlington. 
Touchdown, Ticats. Riders trying to push it to 2 0. Later today, Cook. against the Ellis, little pump banker. Looking back to his right, wide open receiver. Last play of the quarter, touchdown Hamilton. Stephen Dunbar, 38 yards. Let's go, let's just for before you, Marty. they switch ends and go against the wind, they add to their lead. Yeah, that's it. Last shot with the wind, they take advantage of it. Going over the top. This sticks that one early in the, the dispersal draft when they folded after his first season. And a look into the end zone for Evans for Tim White. Touchdown, Ticats. Against the wind? What wind? Doesn't seem to be a problem. They look like they've had the wind at their backs. Roll it the move to finish this run. Listen in. <laughs> Shades of Tyros. They have it now at the Calgary 11. It is second and seven. Early in this second half, and the game dominated by the Ticats. It's intercepted. 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 Jamal Santos Knox tossing it back to Jamal Wolf, who's still going. Back finally takes him out of bounds. But a big turnover. For Hamilton. Down the it out and he completes the spot on the turf. Oh, and they get it. Luther Hakanavanu in a crowd hangs on to it. So the Stampeders get what they needed. High praise. There's Tim White spinning around after the catch and stays on his feet. And he is finally chased down, but not until down the highway to Toronto. Mitchell. Over the middle, complete touchdown, Calgary. Reggie Bagleton. Then we got a one score game. Here come the Stampeders. And with plenty of time remaining. Yeah. Oh, that's a tough yard to get. And now it's a Stampeders with the ball. Titus Wall took it away. No whistle. Touchdown, Calgary. Wow. So, now if you're Hamilton, can you challenge the One for one. He has missed an extra point from 39. And has it perfectly done. It started, left, it broke back right. The wind playing with it. But it gets through. What a first overtime mini game. Evans. Lemon coming in, but he gets it away and it's intercepted. And just like the Grey Cup back in December, the Ticats burned by an interception that cost them the game in overtime. Oh, the parallels to the last time they played here.
Anyways, guys, that clip was courtesy of the Canadian Football League and TSN. And this is the reason why I love the CFL. It doesn't matter how dominant a team plays for one quarter or two quarters, three quarters. The CFL, the games always come down pretty well to the last play of the game. And unfortunately for the Tiger Cats, it didn't turn out the way they wanted it to be. But you know what? Hamilton is 0-2, but there's still 16 games to go in the regular season. And I think Hamilton is still going to be one of the top teams in the in the league this year as well. So uh, with Dane Evans, who went 36 for 51, 425, three touchdowns and two interceptions, and a fumble, though. Uh, they got Sean Thomas Ellington, uh, the talented running back, Stephen Dunbar, Tim White, and they got some good coaches in Orlando Steinhauer, Tommy Cardell, uh, Washington, and Butler as well. So Hamilton is going to be taking on Winnipeg this Friday at 8 o'clock. And the Argonauts, who are 1-0, and are on the road to take on the BC Lions, I believe, this Saturday night in BC on TSN as well. Uh, anyways, guys, like I said, I really enjoyed having Rick Zamperin come on today. And I'm just going to check something. Um, anyways, again, I want to say thank you to Rick Zamperin for coming on and uh, everybody for watching this podcast live on my YouTube channel. Please hit subscribe if you already haven't. And thank you to those who've been watching on Facebook Live and on Twitter as well. And like I do for all my podcast shows, guys, just bear with me. I've got so many graphics on here. I'm just going to put them on here right now. Live with CDP Podcast, the audio version of this is downloaded to Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM, Breaker, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Spotify, CastBox, and LinkedIn as well. And also, guys, just to let you know, StreamYard is the official live stream provider of Live with CDP podcast. Check out StreamYard if you want to do uh, uh, live streaming or even podcasts like myself. And also, guys, you can follow me on TikTok at Live with CDP. That's at Live with CDP on TikTok. I post a lot of video content there. Check out my latest content from a uh, crossbody pro wrestling event I was at uh, in Cambridge Saturday night. I did a couple interviews uh, with wrestlers Laurel and uh, uh, Crystal Moon. Great uh, check out uh, crossbody pro wrestling out of Cambridge. Great uh, wrestling organization as well. And also, guys, live with CDP merchandise, podcast shirts are 15. I'm getting them redesigned. Coffee mugs are 15. And if you want a podcast hat, they're $18 as well. So uh, hopefully you guys are interested in that. I'm going to be having uh, new shirts made up in the next uh, couple of weeks for my friend Laura. And I think you guys will like the change to my podcast shirt as well. And also, guys, you can check me out on wordpress.com slash home slash live with cdppodcast.wordpress.com as well. I do a lot of blogging there as well. And to let you guys know, I'm also going to be in Buffalo this Friday, uh, Friday night to see the Buffalo Bisons. Triple uh, A team, Philadelphia of the Blue Jays, take on the St. Paul Saints. Uh, thanks to Pat Malacaro. So I'm going to be doing a blog and hopefully some maybe some player interviews and coaches interviews uh, with the Bisons this weekend, hopefully. But I'm really looking forward to going down to Celine Field in Buffalo. Uh, it's five minutes from the Peace Bridge, and I haven't been to a Bisons game uh, since 2019 or any baseball game since 2019 due to the pandemic. So 
All right, guys, I think that's about it for my podcast. Stanley Cup Final Game 3 tonight at 8 o'clock, Colorado, Tampa Bay, Avalanche Lead Series uh, 2 nothing as well. So, And, uh, again, my next Live with CVP Podcast Season 3, Episode 55, is tomorrow night, Tuesday, June 21st, at 8 o'clock Eastern with my guest Ben Grant, accredited Toronto Argonauts writer and host of X and O's on the Argos website. And he's also an analyst for the Canadian football perspective. So we're going to talk Argonaut football and talk a little CFL as well. So again, I want to say thank you to my guest, Rick Zamperin from CHML 900 in Hamilton for coming on today. And uh, I guess we'll see you guys tomorrow night at eight o'clock for another edition of live with CVP podcast. Have a great night, everybody. And again, thank you for watching and listening to live with CVP podcast. We'll